0: morning
1: it seems as if I've got some people behind me so if I don't talk to you this morning then you'll have a an understanding can I just first of all just say um, sort of really on behalf of my wife and myself thank you it's um, it's very hard when your son and your daughter and your grandchildren are uh, sort of 13,000 miles away It's hard to trust them with anybody because no one can look after um, children as as well as their parents and no one can look after their daughter as well as their dad, even though they choose to marry someone you don't particularly like. (laughs) (laughs) And um, uh, that that can be a bit difficult. And I just want to say thank you for the care that you've taken of them. You know, um, we can't express to you how much it does mean to us. Um, It's a real blessing to us to know that they're in safe hands, and we can't repay that. Um, And I know you wouldn't want us to, um, because I know you do it because of the love of God that has uh, taken over your hearts. And I'm grateful for that. I can't express enough the gratitude that we have uh, as a couple, as a husband and wife, um, for all the care that you've taken. Um, I know you've received very special gifts in Mark and Natalie. (laughs) Really unconvincing that, by the (laughs) way. Mark (laughs) Um, requires patience. Yes. Sometimes I wish he was a patient. Um, and it's, uh, but um, it's, it's a real joy to us. Um, and one thing that I think that I've learned here, um, which I, I, I struggle with, because I'm, I'm getting old and misery is great fun, is uh, the way that you celebrate. We're really at the beginning of a new year. And it's good to celebrate. Coming together here is a celebration, isn't it? It's the purpose of it. Um, This is where we do church, church, and I suspect that when you go out from here, you do church in a different way, yes? You do church at work or at college or at school or at kindy. Is it kindy, right? Kindy. And, you know, you do church in a different way, but we do church. But it's good to get together and to celebrate God's goodness. And it's good to remember. It helps us to um, consider, as we come to the beginning of the year, the echoes of the year. And of the time past and we should use that to encourage us there were really uh, two keys that God has given to us in terms of gratitude and the two keys he's given to us in terms of gratitude one is to think about the past to think about God's goodness to us in the past is that okay and I don't know about you but God's been good to me yes there's a phrase that so often comes when I'm praying which is Um, A phrase that is used by Jacob when he said, I I crossed the Jabbok alone and look at me coming back with my wives and my children and all that. You know, I, I look back on my life and I started my life in so many ways alone. And look at me now. You know, I've crossed the Jabbok and there's so much that I have. And I look back on what God has done in me and for me. And I'm just so grateful. And that's one of the keys that we've been given. One of the keys we've been given that produces gratitude in us is to look back and to consider what God has done. Do you do that? Do you look back? It's what God says to the people of Israel. Remember, I took you out of Egypt. He says to them, look back and with gratitude and with worship and with praise, consider all those things. That's what God says to us. In Second Corinthians 8 and 9... Paul reinforces that you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich it's right that we should celebrate it's right that we should have gratitude the other key God's given to us is the key of experience present day experience looking forward to his promised grace Everything that you have and everything that we have and everything that we live for, if you're going to be a living Christian, if you're going to be a living church, is based on this, putting your faith in the promise of future grace. That's what he's given to us, and that's what, in a way, we're going to look at today. I hope that you're grateful. I hope that you're thankful to God for all that he's given to you. I hope there's a sense of gratitude that sort of overflows and bursts out into worship I nearly raised my hand today. Chloe, you would have been proud of me. It nearly happened, but I pushed it down. I'm not much for tradition. I just need to explain that to you. Over the years, I've got into a lot of trouble over tradition, because people love their traditions, don't they? they? They guard them. I think sometimes churches are filled with ghosts, you know, things that we just hang on to for no particular reason. At times I'm worried about <laughs> communion. Um, sometimes it just becomes a habit for people. Um, it sometimes seems to have lost its meaning. And I always struggle with communion because I don't know whether I should be happy or sad. Does that, does that, do you feel the same? I'm so sad that, I, that communion has to happen because it means that my sins so grievous and so bad, so heinous in God's sight had to be paid for, and I feel sad. But then I think to myself, I'm so glad that I take communion because it means that the blood has been shed and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. I stand before God forgiven. I stand before God clean. Yes, if I confess my sins, he is faithful and he is just. To forgive me my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness, that's the promise of God. So when it comes to communion i struggle at times at christmas i worry at easter i worry christmas is swamped with presents and we forget christmas what it really is easter is swamped with eggs and bunnies have you ever tried looking up easter on google you type in easter and you see rabbits little chicks and christmas eggs it's swamped and so i want to Just try and correct some of our thinking in one particular area. I think it's a massive area. Before I left home in England, I watched the state opening of Parliament and I heard a commentator say that in the UK, we do these things better than anyone else in the whole world. And he was accurate. We do all the pomp and circumstance better than anyone in the whole world. It is, in fact, the envy of the world. However. If for one moment he thought that men dressed in funny and impractical clothing constitutes an army, then Great Britain's in a mess. Today, you and I, we come to celebrate. But if you think that heaven consists of coming to church, if you think that heaven consists of coming into this place with great music and it was this morning wasn't it and if you believe that church consists of listening to an aging man talk to you and if you believe that this kingdom life consists of having coffee at the end then we're really at a mess aren't we it's got to be more than this it's got to be more than this I don't think I've seen so much rain in my life over the past few days in Australia. And one night uh, I was in bed and I heard uh, the thunder rolling. I I thought thought my wife was asleep and snoring. (laughs) She's not here, I can say it. She doesn't listen to podcasts, so I'm... And I was listening to the thunder rolling and as soon as I saw the flash of lightning, I don't know if you do this, but as soon as I saw the flash of lightning, I started saying... 1001 1002 did you do that 1001 1002 1003 and then you heard and you knew that every three seconds it's a mile away you'd know what a mile is every three seconds it's a mile away and you sort of think three seconds, rumble of thunder, it's a mile away. You see the flash, 1,001, 1,002. You get to 1,006, it's two miles away, so the storm's going the wrong way, and so I went back to bed. And then perhaps a few minutes later, there was a flash of lightning, and the roll of thunder immediately told me this, that the storm is right above my head. It was instant there was no time for me to stop and think it was instant and I can tell you if I'd have been at home I would have been out of bed I would have gone to my study and turned off my computer I don't leave my computer on in a in a storm it would have been an instant movement because that would have told me this that the danger is now and I want to say to you in the Christian church the danger is now there's a danger in the Christian church And I want to pose that danger for you now. So I'm going to read. It's quite lengthy, and I'm missing out verses. But it's from the the first book of Samuel in chapter 17. You'll know it. It's David and Goliath. Is that all right? And I just want to read this to us. And uh, you follow, because I'm going to miss out some of the verses. And uh, if, uh, if I jump, I will try and tell you. If I forget, well, it's because I'm getting old. Now, the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camps at Ephes Damim between Sokoh and Azekah. Saul, King Saul, and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp his height was it varies but let's settle for nine feet tall and he had a bronze helmet on his head and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 55 kilograms now you'll find in the bible it doesn't say 55 kilograms but I've done the maths for you (laughs) on his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His staff was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed six kilograms. His shield-bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man, and let him come down to me. And if he is able to fight with me, we will be your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said this, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of an Ephraimite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, verse 16. For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and every evening to take his stand, verse 20. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse, his dad, had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies and ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. And as they were talking with them, Goliath the Philistine, champion of Gath, stepped out from the lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Verse 32. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go out and fight with him. Then he will take his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the stream and put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine and his shield-bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy glowing with health and handsome and he despised him he said to david am i a dog that you come at me with sticks and the philistine cursed david by his gods come here he said and i'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals david said to the philistine you come against me with sword and spear and javelin but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and to the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And those gathered here will know that there is not not by sword or spear that the lord saves for the battle is the lords and he will give all of you into his hands and the philistine moved closer to attack him and david ran quickly towards the battle lines to meet him and reaching into his bag he took out a stone he slung it and struck the philistine in the forehead the stone sank into the forehead he fell down on the ground so david triumphed over the philistine with a sling and a stone Without a sword in his hand, he struck him down and the Philistine, and he killed him. And David ran and stood over him and took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from its sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. And when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah searched for the shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Garth and to the gates of Ekron. The dead were strewn along the Shaharim road to Garth and Ekron. And when the Israelites returned, chasing from the Philistines, they plundered their camp. Now my pastor said to me when, first I became a Christian, he said to me, when you read the Old Testament, simply view it as a picture gallery of Jesus. Look at the Old Testament and see where you can find Jesus. Does that make sense? sometimes we say the, the 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 old testament is hard to understand is that right but if you put on the special glasses that say i'm looking for jesus you'll find him in the old testament and you'll find him here i want to just go very quickly here because i believe that there is a common teaching here that is problematical and it is uh, dangerous to us so often we come and we hear this in Sunday school. I've done it myself. We come and we have this wonderful story of David and Goliath. And we end up saying to each other, sometimes we have giants in our lives. Big problems. And remember that you're to be like David. Yes? And don't worry what you've got. It may just be a sling on a stone. But you can bring down your problems with that. Does that make sense to you? Yes? It's wrong. Okay, and it is so wrong because it is doing what we see being done within the Christian church time and time again. The focus, sometimes gradually, sometimes quickly, is being brought onto men and to women. We're making the Christian church about us, and it's not about us, it's about Him. It's not about us and our needs, it's about Him and His glory. And there's a danger in coming to a piece of scripture like this and looking how we can have the victory, how we can fight our problems. And I just want to spend a few moments here. The first thing I want you to notice is this, that the people of God, that their land had been invaded. And they'd become used to it. And they had said, this far and no further. You know, it's a bit like someone coming into your house. And they come into your house and they live in a room and then they put up their gazebo in your garden and you sort of say okay this far and no further and my reply to be you would be are you stupid yes i would say to you are you stupid this is your house why are you letting them take over a room why are you letting them take over the kitchen why are you letting them take over the garden and you can say, but Eddie, I've said this far and no further. It's not theirs. It's not theirs. It's yours. And there comes a point when the people of God here said about the Philistines, oh, you, you've, you've, taken, you've taken this part of our country, you've taken that part of our country, you've taken, but we're making a stand here. There are certain things we're not going to move on. There are certain things we're not going to shift on. And we're going to shift on the fact that Jesus Christ is God. Are you okay with that? But they've taken everything else. You'll hear some versions of the Bible say in the beginning there was the Word and the Word was divine. Have you heard that? That's not true. The Word is not divine. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was God. Angels are divine. And Jesus is no angel. Do you see what's happening? They can take our ground. And we say this far and no further. I've got news for you. It's time for us to possess the land. It's time for us to take back what God has given to us. And for some of you here, that might be the church. And for some of you here, it might be your own life. That you've said in your life that the devil has got control of this in my life. The devil has got control of that in my life. He's got control of this other place in my life. But I'm saying today, today and no further. That is not good enough. The enemy is not meant to be part of your life. He is meant to be Sent from your life. He is meant to be defeated. But this is where the people of God were. I've met Christians who have had their lives invaded. I've met Christians who have had their lives invaded. People who have little or no power over their habits and their passion and their lives. I've met people whose lives have been invaded by drink or drugs or pornography or uh, the loss of someone that's crippled their lives. There are so many things that can take possession of us and hold us and keep us captive. And yet we know that we, we, we don't understand this and it may be you this morning that you're living with a, a big hole in your life that you say to yourself, I'm not going to let this part go away. It's affected your job. It's affected your friends. But you said it's not going to affect my family. And yet that lives within your mind and it lives within the way that you are. I've I've met that with Christians daily they start their day looking at their day as an adventure and yet their day ends up as just an existence in moments as Christians we stop and we say is this it and you're holding on by the skin of your teeth and you're trying as hard as you possibly can to give a joyless Christian life meaning because the enemy has come in and that's where these people were I have brothers and sisters in Christ who have had their lives invaded in so many ways. And so much of the joy in their life has become churchianity instead of the kingdom life. Does that make sense? We're not made to live for church. We are made to live for Christ. Does that make sense? We lose it in the church. We sometimes think that our evangelism is to bring people to heaven. Our evangelism is not to bring people to heaven. Our evangelism is to bring people to God. We're going to meet with God. Isn't that glorious? Some of your faces say you're not sure. But we're here to meet with God. One day I will stand before him. One day you will stand before him. And God is inviting us to know him in a way that is more than church, as good and as wonderful as church may be. I love my old hymns. I love my new ones as well. Wasn't it glorious this morning? Why did you stop? It was so good this morning. Thank you so much. But there's an old hymn that I want to speak to some of you Christians this morning who are feeling defeated. It's an old hymn. And it says this, Where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Where is the soul-refreshing view of Jesus and His Word? What peaceful hours I once enjoyed, how sweet their memory still, but they have left an aching void the world can never fill. I'm concerned about the church that is living a joyless life and trying to substitute it with other things When God has invited us to enjoy him, do you find yourself wanting God? If you find this morning that you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're saying to yourself, I want him, then please talk to someone this morning. I hope that this sermon will help you to know him better. As a Christian, do you find that although you have the true faith in Jesus Christ, that you feel that your land has been invaded and that obtaining or enjoying joy in the Lord is missing? That is where these people were. The second thing I want to say is this. It was the whole land, at least the land of Judah. It was a place that was under frequent conflict. It was Ephes-Damim. This is where the battle was lost again and again and again and it's there that they took their stand. Now my day starts with nine prayers that I say and then I read my scriptures because that's the way around that I do things. You may do it differently. You may even choose a different time and that's fine. And then I sit down to my studies and that's how I do this. And I don't mean my studies so that I can preach a sermon. I mean my studies so that I can know him better. Is that okay? That's my morning. Because mornings are the best for me. And what the Lord has shown me is that there are areas of my life. I started off this year with one of now four. There are four areas in my life that really cause him concern. Yes? And every day I pray about those four areas. Now you may think I'm getting depressed at this, but I'm not. Because those four areas are such a concern to me that they drive me to God. Yes? It's what Paul says. Lord, would you please re- remove this thorn in my flesh? Would you please remove this problem? What does God say? Nah. He says, I'm not doing that. My grace is sufficient. He said, my grace is sufficient. What is doing to you, Paul, it's driving you to your knees. It's driving you to me. And these four areas of my life, and I know what some of you are thinking, just four? And these four areas of my life drive me to him lord without your help i'm going to fail without your help i'm going to fall without your help i'm going to be destroyed lord i need your help here and it drives me to prayer it's a battleground that i fight i fight every day i have fought for years and i am gaining victory day by day by day by day do i have a full victory i don't why because his grace is sufficient it drives me to prayer It drives me to go to him. It means I get up early in the morning because Lord, you've got a sinner coming to talk to you. The third thing I want to say to you is this, that the enemy is formidable. We can read this simply. He was a giant between nine and 10 feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head. His armor weighed 56 kilograms. He wore bronze shin guards and carried a bronze spear The spear was like a fence rail. The spear tip weighed six kilos. And his armor bearer went before him. Now, we have to understand this. I think ten feet is tall, don't you? I think that that's quite tall. But you see, the thing was that their king was a king called King Saul. And we know this about King Saul. The Bible tells us he was head and shoulders taller than anyone in Israel. The tallest person in the whole country was king saul and this man goliath dwarfed him head shoulders and chest do you see the problem and i don't know about you but there are real problems a few weeks ago i was sitting in church and it was an evening service and it was hard because uh, they're struggling in the church where i am to to deal with evening services and there was a young woman then i was talking to her and she said hello i didn't recognize her i said hello And she said, it's me, Jane. I said, oh, Jane. She said, you didn't recognize me, did you? I said, no. She said, oh, I've got cancer, and this is my wig. Do you hear me? Her enemy is formidable. Is that okay? Some of you are going to go home to an empty house. Your enemy is formidable. Some of you may be going home to a house that you wish was empty your enemy is formidable I'm not trying to make this easy or water it down this was a formidable the biggest person they knew was King Saul and Goliath was head shoulders and chest bigger than him we have formidable enemies the next thing I want to say to us is this the goal of the enemy is to serve him. I don't know what it's like in Australia. I'm often tempted to do this, but in Australia, I'm sure you can sort of say, well, yes, that's my Australian accent. (laughs) Well, yes. Marks out of 10? (laughs) Not very good. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Thank you for the encouragement and support. (laughs) And someone will say, yeah, my, uh, my... God, I've lost it now, <laughs> my, my, my father was a greengrocer and my grandfather was, was this and my grand, great-grandfather came from England and his wife came from Ireland and they did this and my great-great-grandfather. My father was a Chancellor of the Exchequer. My grandmother is a Carib Indian. Her husband was a black man. His father was a freed slave. It ends. That's the end. There isn't a a lot of places I can go with my family tree. He was a slave. If you go to Dominica, on the beach, 200 yards from the beach, there's a slave stone. And at some stage, someone in my family stood on that with a tag around his or her neck and was sold. What is the purpose of the enemy in the time of David? It is to make them slaves. And what is the purpose of the evil one in your life? And bigger than that, what is the purpose of the evil one in your church? And it is this to make you slaves, to take away your rights, to take away your joy, to take away your purpose, to take away your claims to family and to belonging and to hope. That is the purpose of it. And their purpose here was to steal from them, Jesus said. The enemy has come to do what? To kill? To steal? and to destroy don't you understand that do you understand what that means there is someone this morning who seeks to destroy your life to destroy your marriage to destroy your relationship to destroy your church that is the business of the evil one and sometimes it's direct and sometimes it is subtle he invades quickly he invades slowly the next thing i want to say is that the threats were persistent day after day for forty days he came morning and evening and made his threats the battle is constant I don't know how many of you here this morning are fighting a constant battle usually the first one, the big constant battle is the fear of death it's a reality yes it's a reality I'm not scared of death by the way I'm scared of dying how do I want to die? I want to be beaten to death with a heavy feather That's how I want to die. I want to die with all my family around me saying how wonderful I am. Practice now. (laughs) Death doesn't bother me. Death, the sting has been taken from that. But there may be some of you here that are frightened of death. Jesus dealt with that. And it tells us that the people each day were dismayed and greatly afraid. They fled and they hid and that's what we do in church if someone would find out what's really going on in my life I can't afford for that to happen because they think I'm special they think I'm strong and they think I can cope and so I'll do what these Israelites do I will flee and I will hide and I'll pretend it's not the way it's meant to be this should be the safest place can I say it again so now, amen to that, this should be the safest place. Not in the whole of Castle Hill. Not in the whole of Sydney. This should be the safest place in the whole world. Yes? This should be the place where I know, I know, that my name will not be spoken about badly behind my back. Amen? Isn't that church? And yet so many people find that it's a source of such pain. And then we find this, and I'm coming to an end. (laughs) Sounds good. It makes you feel as if I'm ending, doesn't it? Oh, I'm nearly nearly halfway through. (laughs) And it says that David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went, and Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the host was going out, listen, to the battle lines, shouting the war cry. Can you see them? They went out to the battle lines, shouting the war cry. Take a step if you think you're hard enough take another step if you think you're hard enough that's what they were shouting come on bring it on bring it on and as soon as goliath came they ran (laughs) do you see it they made all the noises they knew all the battle cries my jesus i love thee i know thou art mine what a battle cry yes oh 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 how good is the lord no i don't like that one We have all these battle cries, and we sing them, and we sing them, and when the real problems come, we stop singing. Does that make sense? They knew how to sing, but they didn't know how to fight. And David came, and there was the battle cry being shouted, but there was no victory, and there was no progress. They were an impotent army. Fancy being an impotent Christian. Fancy being an impotent church. And David was advised by his brothers. He was advised by King Saul. And can I just say this very quickly, especially to you leaders here. Never take counsel from unproductive people. Never take counsel from unproductive people. Not everyone has the right to speak into your life. And don't follow anyone who isn't going anywhere. Can I just say that just as I pass and I'm nearly finished? And so we have this situation where you could have shouted all you wanted. You could have said as much as you've wanted. We've got to be strong. We've got to be brave. We've got to fight the enemy. And that's how we interpret this portion of Scripture. And it's wrong. The way to interpret it is this. That all of a sudden, from a very unlikely source, the champion takes the field it isn't about you it's about the champion who takes the field who was this champion you'd have to read this up in your own bibles but the champion was a little boy called David what was it about David three things about David he was the chosen one he was the anointed one and he was the king and can I just say this to you You need the champion to take the field in your life. And you need the champion to take the field in your church. Who's the champion? He is the chosen one. He is the anointed one. And he is the king. And his name is... And his name is... And his name is... Jesus. You see, everything begins to change... Not when they stir up their energies, not when they sing their songs, not when they bang their shields. Everything changes when the champion takes the field. And the battles that I've had to fight have always been won when the champion takes the field. When Jesus comes in, when Jesus invades that area. And what happens this, What happens is this, that Jesus comes and in the simplest of ways, he destroys the enemy. But I haven't finished yet. He then goes and makes sure that he's dead, doubly sure. And what happens then? The army, are you ready for this? Because this is the part that makes the difference. The army enters into what the champion has done. It isn't something they have to do. Is that okay? They enter into what the champion has done. And we have to enter into what the champion has done. And where did the champion defeat the enemy? Where did the champion say, That's enough and no more? Where did the champion say, I have come that they might have life and life in all its fullness? Where did he do that? He did it in one place and one place only, and that was the cross. That's where it is. That's where our champion defeated the enemy. That's where the champion said, You're dead. That's where the champion said, you've got no more claim over me. And we have to enter into what the champion has done. The battle is finished. The victory is won. And you have to enter into that. You have to enter into what he has done. That's why we need our Bibles. That's why we need to read them. Because we have to enter into what the champion has done. Can I ask you this? Do you need the champion to invade your life today? Are there some of you here this morning who don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you're living in defeat? I know you're smart, but are you defeated? And you fought and you fought and you fought and you can't get the victory. The champion needs to enter that field. Would you ask him today? And there's some of you Christians here and you're so defeated. And you've forgotten this. You think this is all about you. It's all about you stirring up your faith and doing this. No, it is you applying your faith to promised grace. Ready for this? Anyone who comes to me, I will in no way cast out. The champion is on the field. The champion has won the victory. It's not about you being strong. It's about him being the anointed, chosen king of your life and of this church would you enter into that would you say lord i want to enter into that they went on to victory and to freedom and this is the promise that they have for you and me last week i was blessed because i couldn't find a video and the video was prepared for me and they didn't even know about it how good was that and then i had a couple of words this morning and i've lost him because he didn't want to hear the sermon. Oh, there you are. Dan. And Dan said, one of the first things you said this morning was this. Step into what God has for you. I'm quoting your words. And I would just change them slightly, not because they're wrong, because there are two keys to gratitude. One is historic, and one is present. Yours was the present. Step into what God has has for you is what you said the other key that goes with it is this one step into what is step into what God has done for you look to the cross there's forgiveness there there's hope there there's life there it is there at the cross cross that you regain your your ground that the, the evil one has taken it's there it's there there's nowhere else it's at the cross where that happens And if you don't know what it is to live a life that is victorious, to be freed from the the fear of death and hell in the future, come and enter into what the champion has done. And if you're a Christian living in defeat, come and enter into what the champion has done. When they saw what the champion had done, they ran down and defeated the enemy. It's all done. And for the church, that's my prayer that we would focus our eyes on him, on this one called Jesus. That he would be the center of all we want to do. And in focusing on him, you might know that victory. I'm hoping you want victory. There are elders here, there are others here. Um, I've got a rubbish lunch, so I can stay behind. And if you want to talk, I'm more than happy to talk. Not because I'm a genius, not because I'm best, but because I'm a beggar who was found bread. And I just want to show you how to find bread as well. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, you're so good to us. We rest in the finished work of the cross. We are grateful for all that you've given to us. We want to say thank you for the finished work of our champion, the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you help us, Lord, if we don't know him, to want to know him. We can't do that on our own. Help us to, Lord, look away from our defeated lives to the beauty of your son. And Lord, for us as individuals and as a church, Help us to enter into your victory. In Jesus' name, amen.